If you want to follow along, you can prepare by reading uh, Matthew 1. So, beloved King's Chapel, as we are now into the third week of Advent Sunday, continuing our sermon series, Wonder of Wonders. Specifically, we are looking at the women uh, listed in Jesus' genealogy. I had someone very close to me uh, say to me recently, uh, are we going to hear like, like the basic Christmas, Christmas story? Yes, you will. But we're going to the deep cut, you know. We're going to look at the entire story. So the New Testament begins with the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew begins with a list of Jesus' genealogy. Those who have preceded Jesus. Now, when I went to the Harvard of the South, Florida Southern, I studied marketing. And as a marketing guy, if they were to ask me, hey, we want to start the New Testament, and we got this Gospel of Matthew, how should we start it? Should we start it with a list of names? Boring, right? I mean, are you kidding me? But why would God uh, inspire Matthew, start the entire New Testament, start the entire Gospel of Matthew with a list of names? Well, there's obviously got to be something bigger that is going on. Because that's exactly what's happening. So what's happening is, is that Matthew is linking Jesus to God's bigger story. You know, it doesn't just start in the New Testament. It doesn't just start in Bethlehem. It doesn't just start in the manger. Our God is eternal. And there was something happening. There were promises made before this. So what happens in the genealogy, it's going to link Jesus to two amazing pillars in the Old Testament. I mean, those especially of Jewish descent who read this would immediately understand that Jesus is being linked to Abraham and he's being linked to David. And with being linked to them, he's being linked to two huge promises in the Old Testament. Two things that were to come. God had promised Abraham, and it's an incredible promise, a man well advanced in his age, well past childbearing age, whose wife was even older. God promised him a seed to come to be a blessing to all nations, and God promised him a land a land of promise. And so he believed. He believed God's promises, even when it didn't look like it can't happen. And it was credited to him as righteous. And God promised David a kingdom and a king. He said through David's descendants, there would be a king who would come, and his kingdom would last forever. So Matthew, now through genealogy, he's going to take these promises and link them to Jesus. And what we love about reading through Scripture and knowing that Jesus fulfills all of God's promises. All of God's promises, anything that sounded conditional, all are met in Christ Jesus. And all the blessings flow from Him. So what is startling about Jesus' genealogy is, is now we know, okay, that he's linking us to a story. But what's really startling about it is that there are five women listed in Jesus' genealogy. Now, Looking into that era, you would say, well, this is very unusual. They usually just listed the men. Why are these five women listed? And I tell you, we've been looking at them, and it's amazing. I mean, God uh, picked out five amazing women, women of faith, to show us who he is, to show us what Christ has come for. We saw Tamar. You missed it. If you missed it, they're online. You can listen. Tamar, well, she, she rescues the seed of promise. Remember through that promise to Abraham, and it's going to be through Jacob and Judea uh, is going to come a king. 
She dresses up as a prostitute. She tricks her father-in-law, sleeps with him, and has twins. Now, isn't that interesting, that made the Bible? Want to hear more? Two weeks ago. And then we have Rahab listed. Rahab, who always came with her title, Rahab the harlot, a Canaanite harlot, only she found herself in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was in Jericho when God's people were rolling into town, and they were taken over, and they were taken no prisoner. But Rahab had faith. Rahab had faith in the Lord. So much faith that she hid the spies. She knew that, that God was working, knew that God had promised the land. Rahab rescues the land. And now we come to Ruth. Ruth is, Ruth is a widowed Moabite. More on that. And she's going to be key to the promise of a king named David. She's going to be king, uh, a key to that promise that David has made, that God has made to David. But one thing we can see for sure, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save the outsiders. And I love the fact that as we read through the Christmas story, and you can just follow right through the genealogy, if we stop like we're doing, and we look the wonder of wonders of God's love for Israel. The wonder of wonders. When God thought it would be a good idea to list these uh, in his genealogy to his son. Ruth, the overarching theme is this. From foreigner to family through faith. Ruth, from foreigner to family through faith. I want to start off by uh, talking about our beloved Ruth. Uh, she's she's here today, but I can see her in the back. Uh, I met Ruth uh Eric's mom, uh, the first time in Costco, my favorite store ever. Uh, I'm going to Costco, enjoying all the beautiful things Costco has that feeds my materialism. And there in the middle of Costco is some lady with, who works for Costco handing out literature. Uh, Sir, are you a business owner? Uh, I want to tell you about our new business center. Ma'am, I'm not a business owner. I'm just a, a pastor. I go over to her, and I see her name tag is Ruth. What an opportunity. So the next 20 minutes, I'm preaching to Ruth about the book of Ruth. Ruth, did you know? Did you know this name? Did you know this story? Did you know where it fits in the Bible? Well, she had a little help because her dad was a pastor too. But she said, who is this guy that walks in the Costco? And then I wasn't done. I had to follow her out a little bit more. Hey, I got, I got another point. I missed one point here. She showed up the next week. She showed up with her mom, who's now in glory. And she's been here ever since. The moral of the story Preach the gospel in Costco, all right? So anybody Costco members, we want to grow this church. Uh, um, but anyway, I told her the story of Ruth. It's an amazing story. If you love the Bible, there's 66 books. This, this has only got four chapters in it. It's in the Old Testament. One of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture is the book of Ruth. So I'm going to tell you today about Ruth. She's listed in Jesus' genealogy. We're going to look at this stuff. Now, now listen. I know something about King's Chapel, and I know that you know something about your pastor. We're going to go a little deep, and we're going to look at the story, because it's beautiful. And we could gloss over it, and we could go fast, but we'd miss the beauty, the nuance, the depth. So please bear with me as we look at Ruth, uh, this woman uh, that was uh, incredible where she has come uh, from foreigner to family through faith. We're going to see Ruth's story, her background and her history. We're going to see the book of Ruth, where does it position and what is its purpose. We're going to see Ruth's faith, and we're going to meet Ruth's Redeemer. So we're going to start 
in the New Testament. We're going to start right where we sang in Matthew chapter 1 in in Matthew's Gospel. Read the first six verses, and then we're going to jump to the book of Ruth. I've picked out some key passages in the book of Ruth. But no matter where we find ourselves in God's Word, let's be mindful this is God's holy and errant Word. It'll never lead us astray, nor will it ever err. Hear the Word of the Lord. In the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, those two pillars, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, there's Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, there's Rahab, look at her last week. And Boaz, very quickly, the father of Obed by Ruth. Hello, Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Right there, listen to both. All right, let's turn to Ruth. Uh, Ruth 1, uh, verses, I'm going to read, actually, uh, the, the entire first chapter, and then a little bit into the next. Again, great story. Receive the Lord, word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Oh, man, there's something to tell you about that. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Melam and Chilion. Interesting names there, too, I'll tell you about in a minute. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malam and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Whoa. Then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And when, uh, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Remember we talked about this with Tamar, that, that Leverite law, that if there was a death, a son... Uh, a brother is to step up and fulfill that. Turn back, my, da- my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should ha- say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and shall bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. 
And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, for Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Hear this confession. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me so and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Which means pleasant. She said to them, don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We're going to read 2 through 13. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a, ma- a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. By the way, this is a law. Don't glean all the way to the end. Let the poor people come and gather. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she sent out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to, just by it sounds like happenstance, but God's hand is on her, to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a little short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink, and the young men that the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law, the death of your husband, has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And then chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to them. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman in the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Interesting, the woman of the neighborhood. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the genealogies of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Uh, Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we've got to dissect this. What a story. Ruth, from foreigner to family through faith. Let's hear a little bit about Ruth's story that we read. Let me give you a little bit of background and history. Ruth was a Moabite. To know the Moabites, you've got to know a little bit about the Moabite story. Ruth was the one who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. She grew up, maybe some family members you have in West Virginia or some wrong side of the tracks, not to just rail on them, because they were kind of like distant cousins to the Israelites. And here's how they were connected to the Israelites. You can't miss this. Genesis 19 tells us how the Moabites came about. It was after Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that? God toasted all those those. And Lot was running away. He was running away with his daughters. And his daughters thought, you know what? Oh, man, there's no man here. All we got is pops. We got to have a family. So why don't you get him drunk one night? I'll get him drunk the next night. And, and we'll go and shoot the dead. And, and, you know, we'll have children. So you have the Moabites and the Ammonites. Hmm. Isn't it interesting how they came to be? But you see, the Moabites... The problem wasn't just how they came about. The problem is who they worshipped. Come on. They didn't worship Yahweh. They didn't worship the Lord. And their God required children sacrifices. I mean, it was repugnant to God's people. So when you hear Moabite to an Israelite, you think, ooh, kind of weird how they got started. And then you think, ooh, they worship a terrible God. And not only that, but even worse, when the nation of Israel was going from Egypt to the Promised Land, uh, the Moabite, the king of the Moabites, uh, said, you know what, I'm going to take this guy, this, this Balaam, and I want him to curse God's people. I want to keep, I take him to different places, curse God's people. That's what he wanted. But God said, uh-uh, you're not cursing my people. You know what the Moabites did? Yeah, we can't curse them. Let's send our women in, and let's have them commit sexual immorality, and have them worship our gods. And what? And a plague broke out. And so, this is kind of the background to the Moabites. Can I just say, the, the Israelites didn't think too highly of them. But then let's talk a little bit about the book of Ruth, its position and its purpose. It's one of my favorites. It's position. Now, if you read through the Bible, the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. It's written by Moses. And Moses was used by God to lead God's people into the promised land. And then he passes the baton to Joshua, or God passes the baton. 
And God's people are led into the promised land by Joshua. And then there's a time where God's people are kept in the promised land by judges. They kept messing up. And God kept on having up raise up these judges. Judges is a time that says this. It says, in those days, during the judges, there was no king in Israel. And there was no king in Israel those days. And here's what it says. It's very scary. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Never good. Never good for us to think, hey, how should I live? How should I be? Let me be my own God, my own decision maker. Let me do what's right in my own eyes. And it didn't go well for them. And so really the entire book of Judges, very interesting. It's really an argument, a polemic for a godly king. And we're going to get that godly king in 1 Samuel. Well, 1 Samuel uh, is in between Judges and Ruth. Let me go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel shows us that God wants to have a king of his own choosing. 1 Samuel 8, 5. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the other nations is what they asked for. But God says, no, I want to I pick a king. So here's the point. God's people, chosen people in a promised land. They look around and say, oh, we don't have what the other nations have. They have the big king that defends them. We want a king like them. And God's like, I'm your king. I want to be your king. And they said, no, no, we, we want to choose our own king. They choose a guy named Saul. It didn't go well. And God says, listen, I got, I got one that's in my own house. His name's David. And he's going to come. And he's going to rule. I'm going to make a promise to him. Now watch this. We have judges. They're doing what's right. There's no king. And here comes Samuel. And what happens in the book of Ruth? It fits right in between. Why? Because it's going to tell us that David is that king. I love it. Ruth. Okay, when you meet Naomi, what's the family? The family's name's Elimelech. Do you know what the name means in Hebrew? God is our king. Do you think God's not writing his word? Do you think God's not going to tell us, oh, by the way, you need a king, and here's the family we're going to focus on, and what their name means is God is our king? You know, it's true. And David's going to be that chosen one. So what's the whole book of Ruth's purpose to tell us this incredible story of a kinsman redeemer? It's to say this, David's going to show up, he's going to be a king, and guess what? He's going to have Moabite blood. But she's righteous. And she's a believer. And it's okay. It's okay that the king has some people in his, in his, in his uh, uh, lineage that are a little squirrely. He's got a Rahab there. She was a harlot. She was a believer. And you got Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's a believer. And so here you have this amazing purpose to tell you, this is why Ruth is here, to connect Judges and connect First Samuel. It's incredible. And then it's the story. The book of Ruth unfolds when the Israelites' uh, uh, family, this family, moves to the town of Moab. Where were they from? Bethlehem. Watch this. Don't, don't lose me. Bethlehem means house of bread. Here are God's people in the house of bread. Things aren't going well. Let's go to Moab. And so Elimelech, God is our king. By the way, Jesus, the bread of life, would be born in Bethlehem. You can't make this stuff up. It's so good. In the house of bread. The family, I told you, the father of the family was Elimelech. God is our king. The mother of the family's named Naomi, which is pleasant or pleasant one. The two sons, Malon and Chilion, here's what their names mean. Spent and sterile. So it's basically, you're not supposed to have missionary dating, but they take on Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth. Ten years pass away, all the guys are dead. Here's, you got Naomi. She's a widow. She's got, she's got her sons are gone. I mean, talk about, you hit pause. What a sweet God. Man, she'll say, don't call me Clark. 
She doesn't point the finger anywhere else. God has done this, she says. Well, the women, these three women here that God has provided grain again in the house of bread, takes the two daughter-in-laws they head back. She says, listen, you guys got to go. I'm not old enough to have a kid that will grow up to be able to be a husband to you, so go back and make a life for yourself. Uh, and one of them says, oh, you know what? You're right. I'll go. But then you have Ruth who says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm clinging to you. You got Yahweh. You have the Lord. You have the promises. Your God, my God. Your people, my people. Where you go, I go. And it's an amazing story. Ruth will find a redeemer, and it will bring her into the family. First of all, we see Ruth's faith. Is that, I'll say that. So here's, so that's a little bit of the background of the story. Here you have Ruth's faith. Ruth is all in. I mean, she's absolutely all in. And it's a great model for each one of us. Where are you with your faith? Are you all in? Here's what she says. But Ruth said when her mother-in-law said, go back. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. Where they bury you, they're going to bury me. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death departs us. What an amazing faith. All in. She just said all in. Ruth was giving up her identity. She was giving up her family. She was giving up everything she knew to follow the Lord. Isn't that salvation? Isn't it salvation is to, to, to repent and believe? Not about your name, my name, but his. She not only was all in, she was all in against all odds. I mean, she was going back with, with a woman who says, call me bitter. A woman who goes back, you know, uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, by the way, everybody, don't call me this name. Call me bitter. God has just put his hand upon me. This is terrible. And here's what she says. I left with so much, I come back with nothing. I wonder what Ruth was saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm here. Remember, I'm, I'm in, you're in. But, I mean, that's how bitter she was. But Ruth had a faith all against all odds. And then there was Ruth's Redeemer. Again, it's a beautiful story of redemption. In real estate, the three most important things are what? Location, location, location. And the promised land, the two most important things were having a piece of the land and having a seed, having an heir to keep the land. God was so gracious. He put together laws to make sure that people who were given a piece of the land wouldn't lose that piece of the land. And the one of the ways he would say it is he would have something called a kinsman redeemer. If there was a widow that was childless, if there was a family that was susceptible to lose their spot in line and their place in the land because they couldn't produce a son, God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm looking out for the widows. I'm looking out for those who are needy. And I'm going to put together a plan. There's going to, a relative's got to step up and do a job. And what he's going to do is this. There's got to be a kinsman redeemer relative that's what Judah's sons were supposed to do. He's going to do his job, give the widow a child. And by the way, he's going to do it at his expense because it's not his child. It won't bear his name. And he's giving the inheritance to his brother or a family member. That's a kinsman redeemer. I know it's, it's, it's incredible, but that's what kept God's people in the land. That was a law. God was so thoughtful. Well, here comes Naomi, or here comes Ruth. She goes, by chance, it says, we know it's God's hand, into a field of Boaz. Boaz happens to be what's called a kinsman redeemer, a family member. 
Boaz has this right, this responsibility to secure for Naomi and for Ruth the land that was given to them as an heir. Now, you know, it's kind of weird at the end. Remember, who has the child? Is it Naomi or Ruth? Naomi. Ruth bore the child. It was in her line. But it's in the, it was in the line of Elimelech. God is our king. Isn't it beautiful? Boaz. Boaz is the Christ figure. Boaz is the Christ figure who cares for widows and saves them. He brings them from obscurity to prosperity. And you don't have to be a widow to feel on the margins of life. You know, she was just gleaning the leftovers. She was just like a poor woman and a peasant would do. Whatever was left, she was trying to find it. But Jesus says, no, i got more for you. And pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing for her. My brothers and sisters, what is Christmas? You see, Christmas is the celebration that Christ is our kinsman, Redeemer. Christmas is a celebration that Christ has come to secure our place with the Father and our inheritance as sons and daughters. Ruth went from widow to foreigner to family. Do you think that she could sing joy to the world, the Lord has come? Because she was rescued. She was rescued by Boaz. And by the way, Rich, you were asking me last week, you were saying, tell me more of the story of Rahab. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot more of the story, but it does say that Rahab's son, Boaz, had a good boy. What a man that was raised to love the Lord. Boaz marries a Moabite. Jesus' line is filled with outsiders. Canaanites, Moabites, sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He came for those who felt outcasts. He came for those who didn't fit. He came for you and me. And in the beauty of God's word, I'm going to tell you the five women in this genealogy. And it's scandalously good. It's incredible. Ruth had reason to sing, and so do we. We have a redeemer who came to rescue sinners. And his name is Jesus. And his name means Savior. Do you know the joy of being rescued by him? Have you gone from a foreigner to a family member by his grace and through his life, death, and resurrection? And let me ask you if you have, are you all in against all odds? Are you saying, Jesus, are you kidding me? You came to rescue me? You came to live the life I failed to live? You died the death I deserved to die? You've opened up heaven for me? I want to be all in against all odds. I tell you, as a pastor, I think that's just kind of where we are. I mean, I grew up in a culture like you, that Christianity was at least somewhat warmly embraced by our society. Church was at least something that people respected. That's gone. I mean, I think we live in a time now where we got to say, hey, I'm going down, all in against all odds. This Savior has come to rescue me. And what he's done for me, I got to live for. Father God, I love that you are the greatest storyteller that ever existed and that will ever exist, ever exist. That, Lord, that you tell us who you are and who we are made in your image. You tell us about our proneness and our sinfulness and how often we wander. 
you show us how amazing love you have for us by sending your son to rescue us. You, 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 you tell us a story, and you, you don't, I love it, you don't edit it. You know, you, you don't Photoshop it. You, you don't take out the things that, oh, those are bad. You leave them all in. As a matter of fact, you magnify them. And you magnify them because you want to show us the depth of love that you have for sinners. You want to magnify them so that we know that there's only one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. And you show us that the way to him is through faith. Just as Ruth, somehow this Moabite, by your grace, found faith in the Lord. He says, I'm in. God, I pray that you would give us faith. In the midst of the darkness, that we would be a people that would embrace your son and say, where he goes, I go. I mean, he, he is the one. I'm all in it all, all fine. God, may we be a church that just puts that flag in the sand and say, we're yours. I mean, the truth is we're, we're a mess, just like the genealogy. We're, we're broken. We're outsiders. We're foreigners. We're sinners. But we're yours. And we're loved. And we're redeemed. For your glory and for our good and for our neighbor's good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.